welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, January 15th, 2020, and we are joined today by Eric and Katie Parker, and they have recently brought their sweet little girl home from India, and today we are going to talk about their journey from through adoption and the unexpected news that they received when they got home from India. You don't want to miss this podcast of, of God's sovereignty even through tragedy. But before we talk to Eric and Katie, I want to remind you that at Lifeline, we know that remembering, respecting, and celebrating a child's birth country is an important part of encouraging healthy conversations about adoption and self-image. That's why to help our families celebrate Chinese New Year this year on January 25th, we've created a family activity guide to assist families in celebrating this important Chinese holiday together. You can download your guide at lifelinechild.org backslash Chinese New Year and receive 20% off all of our shirts, especially our China shirts and our online store by using the code China20 at lifelinechild.org backslash store. And so if you have brought a child home from China or have adopted from China or thinking about adopting from China, it's a great time to begin a celebration of Chinese New Year, which again will be January 25th, 2020. And you can go to lifelinechild.org backslash Chinese New Year to receive your family activity guide and begin celebrating this important Chinese holiday together, either to prepare for the coming home of your child or to start beginning to celebrate with your child who's already home. And again, don't forget, you can receive 20% off at the Lifeline store by using the code CHINA20 at lifelinechild.org backslash store. Well, we are grateful to have on Defender Podcast, Eric and Katie Parker. And Eric and Katie are a sweet family who have brought little Noel into their home recently from India. Also, Eric serves at Tapestry Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And before that, he was on staff at Johnson Ferry. And uh, one of the neat things of just how the Lord uses this in the economy, we have a dear friend who Eric and Katie serve with now, uh, Derek Thomas, who's been on the Defender podcast and actually met uh, Eric and Katie for the first time in Gadsden when I was speaking at a church that Derek Thomas was pastoring there in Gadsden, Alabama. And so full circle, uh, they have started their family. They have three children, Hudson, Elizabeth, and Noel, who we will hear in the background, who's just a beautiful uh, baby from India. But so much of what we want to talk about is her story. Um, and so just even as we start today, you know, for your family, what first led you to adoption? Uh, so this started way back before Katie and I even met one another. Uh, and I, I don't remember the details, but we both remember having a distinct desire in high school, not, no, not knowing one another to, to adopt, essentially. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, as we met and began dating, you know, you at, if you're seriously dating, you begin asking kind of those questions that sort of, um, you know, I don't know, filter people out, I guess. <laughs> and, and one of those was just our mutual desire to adopt. And, uh, but that was, it was naive. It was very shallow, I think, at least for me until um, until we both started attending in the church at Brook Hills, which at the time was pastored by David Platt, who had a heart for uh, adoption and orphan care in general and preached that way. And he did so in such a way that 
really deepened our understanding of what that meant for us and mm-hmm. gave us theological roots and grounds for biblical theological. And, um, and we began to see it in our church with other families who were walking through it. Um, and then it deepened even more as I took a job that in part was to help lead the orphan care ministry. That was at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, and so that was a new level of what that meant. And that was us working closely with Lifeline to help equip families to care for vulnerable children all around the world as best we could. And, and so it was sort of a journey that started with just a desire, but then became so much more uh, filled out, so much more real, so much more scary, I would say, mm-hmm. at times. Um, but I don't know. What would you say? Yeah, I would just add, you know, we, once we were married and we knew that the possibility of having children was a real possibility, we wanted to adopt our first child. That's and right. we had gotten connected with Lifeline through people at Brick Hills. And we came to info meetings and I memorized that (laughs) quick fact sheet, like the back of my hand. I can tell you almost any stat about any country if you wanted to adopt from there. Um, But it was just never the right timing. There wasn't, you know, our age was an issue or the length of our marriage or um, we were one income household and Eric was in school. And then how were we going to do childcare? And so it was never the right timing. And we ended up being uh, getting pregnant, which was an intentional decision to, to say, pause on the adoption. We'll have biological children, which was wonderful. Between husband and Elizabeth, we looked at adopting again, still couldn't find a match. Um, so then we had Elizabeth. And then just a couple of months after Elizabeth was born, I saw on Facebook that Lifeline had started their India program and quickly looked up the requirements and texted Eric that day and said, we're adopting from India. <laughs> like it's 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 go time. You know, now we, here's an open door. We met we met all the requirements. India was uh, you know, was um a, it met a lot of the requirements that we were looking for in a country. Which were um well, I mean, requirements are usually kind of a good thing. This is an unfortunate scenario. Um just that they have, you know, the highest populations of population of orphan children, um, that there is significant physical and spiritual need there. Um, and we specifically wanted to adopt a daughter and just knew that in that part of the world, a lot of times women are disenfranchised. Or, uh, Given over to sex upon. trafficking. Yeah. So there was just a lot of things that matched up with what we were passionate about and sort of, um, the justice that we wanted to pursue and kind of have experience in. And so it was the right, right fit, right time, right country. And, um, and then we said, go. So that's right. And I know really, even as you touch on starting with kind of this idea at Brick Kills, germinating through Johnson Ferry, obviously you've always known through this journey that, that adoption is difficult and adoption is hard, but you, you go in through the India process and you see the children that are available and then you get matched with Noel and, and, even though we didn't know what we know now, you knew that this was going to be difficult, that her her need was severe. But as you prayed through it as a family and you have two biological children, now you're looking at bringing a child that, again, you didn't know what you know now, but you knew was going to have some some physical issues. Talk Talk through just that decision and what led you to pursue bringing her into your home. Yeah, you know, um, to start... It gets real when you get a sheet of paper in front of you that asks you what medical needs you're willing to accept 
And for me, that was a difficult process because I was confronted with my own faith, my own trust in the Lord. Um, and I didn't like what I saw, to be honest. Um, and to be honest, uh, Noel, our sweet baby girl, if we had stuck to that list, she wouldn't be in our arms today. Um, because part of what we said walking out of that list was that we didn't feel like we could take and bring into our home and our family and our lives a child that would be dependent upon us for the rest of her life or have some sort of terminal illness or, or what have you, in part because I'm a pastor and I'm not going to, you know, make tons of money that, you know, when we pass away, that that child would have what they needed for however long they, they were around after us. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what we were thinking through. Um, and and so that honestly, we sort of said, OK, what what needs could we accept that um, that still allow this child to live autonomously when the time came and have a, a life of flourishing um, and whatnot. So that was that was hard for me. I don't know how Katie would say it. Well, and we had some expectations going into the process with India because when we first began our process, India was um, a very open country. Their adoptions were moving quicker than a lot of countries we had looked at. They had younger children on their list than we had seen with other countries, and the medical needs were a little bit more mild. And so those were all things that drew us to India in addition to others, but those were certainly a factor. And so we had expectations going into it of seeing files and seeing kids. And when we got Noelle's file, we knew that she was very tiny. She was very malnourished. Um, and there were a couple of concerning things about her, her past with her birth mother and her um, birth story. Um, but what we just started praying about it and we talked to doctors and they looked at pictures and videos even before we did. And they looked at her file and they said, here's the questions that I would ask her caretakers, can you find out more information? And we had actually reviewed a couple of files previously and went through the same process, but never got answers and felt like God was just closing doors. And so we would release those files with her. The orphanage came back and gave us the answer. Honestly, the answer that we were looking for, it was a positive answer. Which is basically just that she's extremely malnourished. We need to get to her as soon as possible. It's going to be a hard road up front. Yeah. But that she should be able to eventually catch up and flourish. Yeah, and, and some of the things in her past were actually a non-issue. And that yeah. was really, okay, now we have an open door to, to say yes, to step out in faith, still understanding that there's some risk, but knowing that her medical need was something that we felt like we had capacity to take on. Um, and then just her age, her gender, you know, and then when we saw her photos and videos, just like, yes, you know, this is our daughter. And so all those things through that prayerful process allowed us to keep taking the next step with her until we found ourselves, you know, signing on the dotted line that we're accepting that match, you know? Um, and so if we follow the progression, which most people who are listening don't know yet, you get to India, um, as I can attest, here's this beautiful baby girl, but she's malnourished. We definitely know there's, there's something going on that needs to be addressed. But you get back home and you learn that it's more than just being malnourished. You you get a diagnosis that that she might not make it another six months to a year, and that she has a terminal illness. So talk talk through just the processing that, and 
obviously that's heartbreaking. That's not what you signed up for. Um, no one signs up to bring a child in their home just to know they're going to have to let them go. You have two young children at home that are going to have to experience this with you. Take us through as much as you can just the process of receiving that information, the heartbreak that that is. Um, but yet also really the the grace of God through that. Because even as I look at this beautiful little girl, she's smiling, her personality you know, you've been told, even as she starts to fade physically, that 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 she'll still have the smile and the the personality. So, talk through both the struggles, but also God's grace through that. Yeah. So during our time in India, we were in constant communication with our doctors and our medical team back here, and they had arranged for us to come straight to the hospital. Uh, we landed late Friday night, Saturday morning. We went straight to the hospital, and we were admitted for what we thought was going to be a few days. Um, then we found out she can't eat anything orally. It, it was going into her lungs. And so we had a surgery to put in a feeding tube. That was the first unexpected medical concern, you know, okay, now I'm going to have to learn the feeding tube and have this medical equipment in my house. And never been around it was that scary. And, and I, I had just wrapped my mind around that when a few days later, um, a doctor came into her room that for the first time that we had met this particular physician and said, this is not just malnutrition, there's something else going on. And here's what I think it is. And, and through that process began tests and procedures and biopsies. And we really had three or four weeks where we were starting to, to get pieces of the puzzle together. And, and we were processing the possibility that she had a terminal illness. And then um, it was about two weeks. We were in the hospital for two weeks and then out for two weeks. And that's when we got the call saying that she has a really rare genetic disorder uh, called Neiman-Pick disease type A. There's only about 1,200 people in the world with this disease, only about 10 kids in the U.S. with this disease. And it's a genetic thing. It's not treatable. And she would live to age two or three. And, um, that was sort of like, okay, you know, here we go. Like now what, you know, and, and it was just then taking day by day and step by step processing that information. And Eric and I processed that a little bit differently. You know, I had to go straight to the end and I had to know what that was going to mean, what that was going to look like. Are we going to be okay? How is it going to play out? what happens like honestly we had just raised forty thousand dollars for this adoption and now you know we went to the cemetery and we did that whole thing and we're getting the quotes and it's like okay well we didn't raise you know an extra 10 or 15 to take care of her final and funeral expenses so but i had to go there and i had to i had to take care of all of that um and at the same time we were processing through still attaching with her. You know, a lot of times it felt like we were just babysitting somebody else's child. Um, but I think that was actually um, grace just in that moment that we we got the diagnosis and we went to the end and we planned everything out and we knew it was taken care of while we were still attaching. Um, because we knew if we get a terminal diagnosis, we're not going to be able to close off our hearts. We're not going to be able to just get through the next year. She deserves more than that. She needs us to open up all the way and love her and be mommy and daddy. And she's going to be our child, even if that means that our hearts are broken even harder in the end. Um, and so I think that was a grace, grace of God. We've, we kind of finalized all those plans and then we started to shift our focus to, okay, 
she's alive right now and she has a life to live. And what do we want that part to look like? Um, and so, I mean, there's been so, there's been so much grace at, throughout this whole process. We've never questioned God's goodness. We've never questioned, you know, God, where are you in all of this? Like we'd know where God is in all of this. Like he's in, he's in just the picture of our family, you know, the, the gospel picture that we're experiencing right now. He's in our church family who's provided us meals ever since we've been back. He's in organizations that have reached out to us and partnered with us to raise money for her, for her burial expenses. He's in the random people that reach out to us and say, we're praying for you. We heard about your story, you know? Um, so I, God's been right here. Like he's not, He's not far away. He's not distant. He is like, he is the best friend sitting beside you on the couch and they wrap your arm around you and say like, I know this is hard. I'm heartbroken, you know? Um, so there's been so much grace. Um, Eric, would you Yeah. And that? I, you know, I think that part of what God has been doing for me, that when we got her in India and we came home, I was committed she is was mine mm -hmm. and finding out this um diagnosis it 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 brought that into focus there was this realization that okay here she has this disease that's going to end her life soon and i could shut down right now because it's not like we've gotten so far in attachment emotionally that you know I can guard myself as Katie was talking about, but, but the commitment was so settled in my heart that, um, I just, I don't know. It, it almost, the news almost deepened it to say like, I'm, I'm here for you. You're mine. Like I'm going to be here with you every moment until the end. Uh, you're my little girl now. And, um, and so I think that that was something that God was doing, um, to teach me about his love and his commitment to us. Um, to go all the way to the end on the cross, um, to the end, the darkest place. And that ultimately the way that I can feel comforted that she's going to be victorious is because he was victorious. That I can't explain the suffering and how suffering is or why it is, but I know that he entered into it and that he took it so that one day she can rise again anew and I can live the next trillion plus years with her as my best friend if I want, you know, if we want whatever. Um, and so this is not the end. And, it, and that's what happened, I think, for me in finding out. I weeped now, like I cried. Um, more than I have in, since I was a child, you know, just uncontrollably. Um, but that at the same time didn't take away that, what was going on, you know, in the heart. So, well, and I know even with your family, so it's one thing for a husband and a wife to process this alone, but you had to process this with your children. Um, talk a little bit about just approaching that subject with your other kids and, you know, so many times and we, we, we think we can protect our kids from so much, but we really can't. But we have this idea, especially, well, death and dying, we can protect our kids from, at least when they're young. But to actually bring it into your home, just talk about processing this with your children and, and how you let them know and how you talk them through that. Yeah. Well, we haven't told them yet. <laughs> so we're still figuring that out. I mean, that was a big question that I told Eric, you know as soon as we got the diagnosis, like 
I didn't sign up to bring a child into my home, forget what I'm going to have to go through, forget what Eric's going to have to go through. I didn't sign up to bring a child into my home and, and her siblings attached to her and love her and then watch her die. I mean, to put it bluntly. Um, and God has been working me through a journey on that whole, I didn't sign up for this thing. Um, and I can share more about that later. But I think um, he reminded me of some things that I was thinking and praying about when we were in India, because it was a sacrifice for us to leave our kids at home for two weeks and go to another country and experience what we experienced and just be separated. And it was hard for them. And I remember thinking, you know, this is a great lesson for them that sometimes when we follow Jesus, it means that we have to do hard things. And it means that we make sacrifices. And this is a great tangible example. Like we're going to be separated and you're going to miss mommy and daddy for a couple of weeks. But here's, look at what we're going to do. Look at why we're doing this. And I think that will be the same lesson that we teach them when we have that conversation. Like this, we make sacrifices and we're, we have this baby in our home and we're going to love her, but we're going to have to say goodbye to her. Um, for yeah. now, you know? Yeah. And I think too, that, um, you know, so often as parents, we rightly want to shield our children from the evils of the world, you know, to sort of cocoon them, um, and, um, protect them. And I think that, you know, there's a good impulse in that, but at the same time, I, I think that, um, I think that scar tissue is the foundation of future character. And that in a, gen a post Genesis three world where brokenness is all around us and all inside of us, um, that we're going to have to come to terms with death at some point and in some way. And Psalm 90 tells us the Lord teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so for our children, the gift that God has given through this tragedy is for them to begin to come to grips with the brevity of life and the sacredness of life and the importance of what we have to do. Um, and that people are valuable no matter how long they live or what they do, um, which we can talk more about in a minute if, if we have time, but just I, there is good in this for them. It may be hard for us to have the conversation, to talk to them about it. We may not fully explain every detail of it, um, but to know loss is, in some sense, it, it can be a gift if, if you let it. And I think we want that to be a way in which we shepherd them towards a greater love and reliance upon the Lord as the giver of life, the taker of life, the Lord of all. You know, um, one of the catechisms says, you know, what is the first question is, what is my only hope in life uh, and death? Um, and isn't, it says that I'm not my own, but that I belong to God. Um, and I think that it's no longer going to be a catechism question anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That that's coming off the page to test. Are you just saying it? Or are you believing it? And, and through that, I know that you've both touched on it. The Lord has taught lessons and grown you in places and stretched you in places. And, you know, even Eric, as you said, you know, grieved you in places, but talk about some of those lessons that you've learned that, the, that God has taught you and some of those things that, that, that you wouldn't have if she hadn't come into your life and this tragedy hadn't hit. Well, the very first 
lesson that I feel like he taught me was when we started processing just the idea of her having a terminal illness. My very first question to God was, God, why would you have us spend 10 plus years dreaming about adoption, two years of our life pursuing it, thousands of pages of paperwork, raise and spend $40,000, go all the way to India for two weeks, bring this baby back over here, all for her to pass away within a couple of months, a year at most, when there are millions of orphans who will live a normal lifespan and they will age out of a broken system into a broken system and they will live a life of despair and poverty and pain and hopelessness. And we were one of the families that wanted to take one of those children in, you know, like there's not that many of them, God, like, why would you give us one who's not going to have a family for that long? You know, like she could have just stayed in her orphanage and passed away there. And I was asking that question for days before God answered me. And then I very clearly felt him say, um, number one, because she's worth it. A person's life is not any less valuable because it's short. And I knew that about race and gender and, you know, ethnicity and ability, but I'd never thought about length of life. So I, I heard him say, because she's worth it. And then he said, because that's how much I care about every orphan in the world. And that's how important families are. I want you to go to those radical extremes to bring a child into your home because that's what I want for every orphan. And that's what, that's why fam families are that important to him. It doesn't matter if somebody has a family for 50 years or five years or five months, God places a lonely in families and the family structure is so important to him. And it's a huge thing that orphaned and vulnerable children are missing um, and he wants yeah. them to have a family. Yeah. yeah. And two, two things come to my mind. Um, one is just being confronted again with what I said earlier, just my lack of faith on the front end of this adoption um, and God um, putting us in this situation and helping me realize that you know, you cannot make decisions based on your own ability, your own resources, or your own faith even, that there is there is a place in life in which only I can provide. And, and so on this side of things, I mean, we have very much been coming to the end of ourselves in so many ways and seeing the grace of God come through and provide and make himself famous in our lives and in our hearts. And so just enlarging, increasing our faith, I think, to what we think we can handle or do mm -hmm. um, and becoming that much bigger in our lives than he was. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the second one is, again, what I said a moment ago, just about the value of life. You know, we talk about being pro-life and, and you know, that's sort of a political term in our culture. And I was so thankful to see at the recent Lifeline Banquet this emphasis in your book that's just come out that pro-life means so much more than, hey, can we pick it outside of a um, an abortion clinic? And that life matters before, during, after, you know, in every race, ethnicity, whatever it might be. And we live in a culture that does not have that view of life. I mean, you think about places like the Netherlands and Germany and then 
uh, parts of our country, Washington, D.C., even the center of our political life, unfortunately. And you can you can have physician assisted suicide if you feel like you're at that place medically or whatever else. Um, because we determine the value of one's life based on what one can do, what one can contribute to society. And I mean, I think about that movie that came out in 2016, maybe that me before you or something about this guy, this athlete. I don't know all the can't remember all the details, but, you know, basically he was a star and then he has an accident, becomes a paraplegic and is in a wheelchair. And well, he meets a girl, boy meets girl. You think, oh, okay, now he's going to find meaning and purpose and um, and they fall in love. And then you get to the end of the movie. And what does he do? He takes his own life. Because of, I can't do something anymore. I'm therefore not something anymore. And so getting this sweet little girl and getting to see her smiles, her cries, um, her personality, her giggles, her laughing and interacting with our other children. And it just drives home that like, she she's infinitely valuable in the sight of God because she's made in the image of God. And it is a privilege to have her come into our home and into our family and most importantly, into our hearts and to be able to die with the dignity that she inherently has. She's worth that. She is worth that. And, and I would have said that maybe you know, because I'm a, a pastor, I would have said that, <laughs> but I did not know that. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like I know it and I'm going to continue to know it. It's going to get deeper as she begins to fade and to fall away and as her body gives out. It's going to be known in deeper and more profound ways, mm -hmm. but it's the lesson that needs to be heard, needs to be learned not just in our lives, but across the world, that people are inherently valuable. Well, and as I, as I even think about that, you know, how would you share with other families who are, who are considering adopting a child with medical special needs? Both, how would you encourage them, but how would you also challenge them to really search their heart to know, are you ready, right? Because I'm sure... There are ways that you wish you could have been prepared if you had have known what you were facing. Um, but how would you how would you encourage and and how would you challenge families that are considering children with medical special needs? Yeah. I would say a couple of things um, because this process on this end has certainly been like looking into one of those really magnifying mirrors, like just you seeing every about yourself that you don't want to see. Um, I would say, you know, we knew that, that adoption was a picture of the gospel. That's right. But, and we're not the rescuers and we get that whole idea, but in the picture of the gospel, like who we are identifying with, and even as just believers and followers of Christ, like Christ gave up his life. He died to do the work that he accomplished. And 
you know, I think about that a lot with Noel because I've told God so many times I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> like I did everything in my power to not end up here. You know, I filled out all of the yeses and nos and I told everybody at Lifeline and, you know, like we tried not to do this, you know, and yet here we are. Um, and I didn't sign up for this. And, and God finally just reminded me like Galatians 2.20, like that's kind of the point. Like your life is not your own. You know, it says I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me mm -hmm. and gave himself for yeah. me. Yeah. So if Christ is the one living in us, why would we think that in anything that we do, we're not going to encounter a dying of the self, you know, a giving up of our life. Um, we are, but that's, there's good in that and there's grace in that and God is in that and there's power in that. And so I would say, think more about what you're doing and be, be, be more prepared for that. Um, but I would also say, don't be afraid. You know, like even though there is the dying of the self, there's also the resurrection power and there's the other side and there's the life and the light in that. Um, and it will be hard, but yeah. even if you end up in a situation like ours, That's because right. so many times I don't want to scare people away. Like this is like really rare, you know, that this, this happens. Happen like day. it doesn't happen all the time. But even if you end up in our shoes, we've looked back and seen very clearly that God led us to Noel and we have no regrets. You know, it was very clear. We did what we could with the information that we had and he answered our prayers and he told us to keep taking steps and he was leading us to her all along. And there's a reason why she's in our family. Yeah. And I think I would just add to count the cost. Um, you know, Jesus gives us that as it relates to salvation, coming to follow him. There's going to be a cost in following Jesus. But the flip side is there's great reward. Um, you know, there's the parable of the man who is stumbles upon a field. And in that field, he finds a treasure worth selling everything for. And so he goes to the person who owns the field and he, he says, here, like, here's everything I have. I want the field. And everyone else thinks that's uh, maybe kind of crazy, maybe not the best investment. Are you sure you want to do that? You know, count the cost. Well, let me think about that. Uh, yes, I, I can do that. Um, and adoption is something similar to that. Um, but in counting the cost, um, are you ready? Because the last thing that a sweet little baby needs is someone who's not ready and does not is not prepared in one sense to handle the curveball, so to speak. Um, you hear those horrible stories of people like returning children or something like that. Um, and a lot of that is because they had no idea what they were doing and probably didn't have an agency like Lifeline who prepared them and made sure that they counted the cost, right? Um, but if you count the cost, you have to factor in, and this is the hard part, in counting the cost, you have to factor in the God factor that the cost is not ultimately dependent upon your resources. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been learning. Mm -hmm. um, so we were at a place in life where we, I think, implicitly said, whatever happens, even if it's not what we checked on the box, that that's okay. 
you know, mm-hmm. that that wasn't what we checked in the box, but still, even if that doesn't come back, that's fine. And that ended up being the case. And and God has been faithful. And as we've said, he's deepened and strengthened and grown us in so many ways and then shined the glory of the gospel. Paul talks about in Philippians 3 that um, he wants to share in Christ's suffering so that by any means possible, he may attain to the resurrection. And when you intentionally or maybe somewhat unintentionally stumble upon these moments and you are doing a gospel thing that is giving your life up for someone else so that they can know Christ and be loved and be brought into a family, which is what Jesus did, then there's a level of um, identification, not just conceptually, but spiritually, where you feel closer to the the risen Lord because this is what he did. This is what he does. And, um, And I think that the value of that cannot be underestimated. And you will see that on the other side of these kinds of decisions. So take heart, for I've overcome the world, Jesus says. And and I believe that. And I believe it more on this side than I did on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, but in counting the cost, don't depend on your own resources at the end of the day. Um, be wise, be prayerful, um, and have other people speak into your life who know your character and where you're at today, I think would be wise as well, who can give you a realistic picture of yourself where you might be self-deceived. Um, and God's going to direct and honor that kind of earnest seeking after him and uh, humble pursuit of wisdom. Hmm. I, I know you all have touched on this. And I mean, even I think as we close, you know, there's so much negativity about the church today um, in our culture and even with young people. Uh, but you've already talked about how your church has come forward and providing meals, you know, Folks in the church, maybe not even your local church, have stepped up to care for, you know, funeral expenses and expenses you never dreamed of coming up with. You know, even even folks coming up that have lost a child or who, you know, have gone through an experience similar, they've come to provide counsel. Uh, I guess just in closing, Kitty, talk about how the local church, how God's family has been such an instrumental part in getting you guys, not just physically through this, but spiritually and emotionally wrapping around your family. Yes. Um, You know, you never want to, nobody ever wants to find themselves in this situation where they need that kind of help or support or, or guidance. Um, But now that we're here and we can look around at all of the people who care, they genuinely care and the resources that are out there and the organizations that are out there, that help families who find themselves in this situation. It's been a huge encouragement. Um, I, I mean, I can't tell you, I have people every day reach out to me somehow, whether it's social media, people that I know, people that I've never met. And just to say, we're praying for you or like, thank you for doing this. Thank you for showing us Jesus in this or whatever. Just the, you know, the encouragement that that is, it's like, I don't know how people, from. yeah, I, I don't know how people would do something like this or go through any kind of suffering um, if they did not have this kind of community. Um, and it's just a selfless, you know, we were so worried when we found out, like, because so many people, especially in our local church, had given financially to our adoption. And we honestly had the thought, like, are they going to feel like that was wasted? Like, because now like because of what's happening and we felt bad and we shared that with some people and they were like 
oh my goodness, nothing could be further from the truth. Like we, we would do it again in a heartbeat, you know? So just having that selfless encouragement has meant, I mean, the difference of like, you know, going to church and not going to church. I mean, you know, like these are the kind of times where you, where sometimes you can want to pull away or just like go into that dark place. But to have those people who are there saying like, we're here for you. What do you need? Anything that you need? Tell us, tell us, tell us. It's huge. Yeah. And, and I mean, just being fully transparent, like for me, um, you know, I, I'm a pastor. I also teach um, at Sanford University. Uh, and teach at another place in town as well. And, you know, I've got, so I've got three jobs and a family, and then all of this is happening. And um, it was too much for me. Um, just started struggling with anxiety attacks. Um, and, you know, I've had to get some help, some medication, just to be able to function. Um, but in, I say that to say that... Uh, the church has really wrapped around us um, in profound ways, the, the meals for sure, but just making it where we don't have to think as much about how things are supposed to go. You know, what are we eating tonight? Which is a mm-hmm. simple thing, but when you're stressed out, you know, that's just mm-hmm. one more thing. Or you just came back from two doctor's appointments that day or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and our church and our leadership has even said, you know what, like, we want to give you a sabbatical, Eric. Just you take some time, pursue the Lord, um, rest and, and enter into that rest um, while all of this is going on. And we just want to love you well in this time. And uh, and that's given me the margin to just come to church and be a part of the body and receive for a little bit, um, which everyone, I think, needs to do. Some people do too much of it, but we just need to re- receive a little bit and not have any responsibilities. And that took a, a load off my soul, off of our life. Um, and the, the church didn't have to do that, you know. Um, and I'm used to, because of working in bigger churches before, the story being that no one knows what I'm going through and, you know, where is the church and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that and sort of being on the receiving end of accusations. And and so I was nervous about this, um, but the church has shown up and shown out as the hands and the feet of Christ, the manifest presence of his love and his care for us. And it's been out of this world. Well, Friends and my brother and sister, I'm so grateful for God's grace that's evident in your life. I know that each and every day is a journey, and the Lord is teaching you each so, so much. But I just think for those who have listened to the Parker stories, just to just to be reminded um, that through the peaks and the valleys that we go through in life, through the suffering and the trials, that God's present presence is huge, and it's the only thing that helps us take the next step. And so uh, we are, are grateful on one hand uh, that Noel has not just a family, a brother and a sister and a mom and a dad to love her uh, in the time that she has on this earth, but we're also grateful that she's part of a faith family. And so just a reminder uh, of how big the family of God is. And, and if nothing else, I hope we see from the story the importance of why as believers, our churches need to get engaged in orphan care because not everyone's called to care or to adopt, uh, but there's always a way that we can wrap around and care for and love on these children through their families, through the hardships, and through the sufferings uh, to ultimately show the world an ethic of 
who we are in Christ and how the gospel changes us each and every day. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.